Hello, everyone, and welcome to an all-new episode of Wonderfilled Week. I am your host, Caitlin Corey. Today's episode is part two of a mini-series entitled Turning Grief into Action. On today's episode, I welcome grief coach and host of the Grieving Moms podcast, Megan Hillica. Megan is a bereaved mother with six children, five of whom are still here. Megan encourages and supports grieving mothers by reassuring them that though the worst thing has happened to them, their life is not over. Megan experienced PTSD from finding her daughter Aria when she died and has done the work to find healing in her brain and in her life. From this, Megan wants everyone to know that PTSD is not a life sentence and that healing is possible. Through her experience of the death of her daughter Aria, Megan has learned tools and ways of shifting grief so that it can become just a little bit lighter and easier to live with. Because Megan has done the deep work of grief, made space for her grief and time for her grief, she now has room for joy, laughter, hope, and so much fun in her life. She will never forget her daughter, Aria, and in fact, she, along with her children and husband, Justin, often talk about her as a family. She helps her clients carry their grief instead of suffering with grief and to truly learn how to walk side by side with both grief and joy. Without further ado, please enjoy part two of Turning Grief into Action with Megan Hillica. Hello, Megan. Welcome to Wonderfilled Week. Hi, Keelan. I'm so excited to be here and so excited to chat with you. Oh, thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. And I just want to say that this is part of a mini series I am calling Turning Grief into Action. And so I appreciate you being here to share your story with us, your personal journey of navigating life after loss, living with PTSD, and helping others find their way through grief, which is such an admirable life's work. So can you begin by sharing a little bit about your daughter, Aria, and how your loss changed the course of your life? Yeah, I guess Aria was our third child. She was 15 months old. Um, She was our princess after two boys. She was so such an easy baby, such a good baby, so smiley. Everyone always commented on her smile. Like everywhere we went, she smiled at everybody. Um, She was just Obviously, I think you always think that there's such a special child. Um, And when she was 15 months and 11 days old, um, I found her after she died in the night. Um, She had passed away in her sleep. Um, It's similar to SIDS, sudden unexplained death in childhood is what it's called after 12 months. And obviously it changes your whole life. It turns your life upside down, um, very unexpected. We didn't, you you don't, you never expect it. Like that happens to other people. It doesn't happen to us or our child or our daughter, you know, like, and it's so hard to wrap your mind around like the finality of it and that this happened and that she's gone and there's nothing we can do to change it. And that is, it's this whole journey in itself. And after she died four weeks later, my next daughter, my fourth child was born. So I was 36 weeks pregnant when she died. And just that whole time you know that first year for sure after she died was just like this experience of like trying to keep your life together while everything's falling apart it was just I felt so broken I felt obviously full of grief and then I was also diagnosed with trauma PTSD um, but I always use this explanation of grief like 
It shatters your whole foundation of your life. Everything you believe to be true, everything you believe to be what happens in the world, like all of a sudden you might have a lot of anxiety. Like I had so much anxiety because like this can happen again. This could have like this happened to me and this could happen again. It could happen to my husband. It could happen to my other children. Like, how am I going to sit and face death in my life? It's going to happen again. And how do I live with that? How do I manage going through it again and again and again? And it's just when you have all of those worries and fears and questions, it's just all overwhelming. And then just the absolute pain of saying goodbye to your child. It's it's unlike anything you can even describe, like the depth and the duration. And like a lot of people will expect you to kind of move on after there's like this time of like six -ish weeks is like what society kind of gives you. And they're like, what's wrong with you? Like, how come you won't be your, you go back to yourself. What's going on? Like, it's like, um, my child died. Like that's a huge life shifting, life altering, not even just my life, but me. I'm a different person. You change. Soon as your child dies, you're a different person. You cannot go back to that person. And so all of that is the layers of grief that I've had to work through in my life. It's unbelievable. I first want to say I'm incredibly sorry for your loss, your family's devastating loss. And to be completely honest, and we talked about this before we went on air, I was a little apprehensive leading up to this interview because like many people, I was afraid to say the wrong thing to a woman who lost her child because like we were saying, there's just no words. And I didn't want to mishandle the telling of your family story, but I want to thank you for allowing me at least the opportunity to share your story, even imperfectly, and normalize speaking about bereavement because like you were saying about the six weeks, I think people are there for the, you know, the, the immediate right after you know the services they're there you might have you know a food train and a call chain and people are checking in with you and then the world does keep turning and you know mm -hmm. people do resume going back to their life and they'll always of course feel for you and think of you but you are forever changed like you said and you can't go back to the person you were before and so what do you do after those six weeks you know when the when the calls stop and when people stop dropping by and sending cards i mean you're forever changed. And mm -hmm. I didn't even realize the layer of you being pregnant with your next child. So, you know, so close to the loss of Aria. And I, I can't imagine between just the excitement of a new child and the hormones of pregnancy. And I mean, what did those, what did those first days look like with your fourth child? Yeah. I mean, the day she was born was a very beautiful day um, because we didn't know she was a girl and it was just amazing to have another girl. Though then you have all the deja vu moments of having two boys and a girl. And that was kind of like her whole mm -hmm. growing up was like, whoa, we have two boys and a girl again, you know, but we actually have two boys and two girls. But like, how do you wrap your mind around that? Um, after she was born is really when I actually already had been having trauma symptoms before that, but I, it kind of felt like everything was put on steroids, I guess. It's like my trauma symptoms because it was sleep related. And then you have a newborn who sleeps and wakes up all night long and you're checking on them. And yeah, it was, it was very stressful for me. I feel like her newborn days were like, I didn't sleep. I did not sleep for months. She had a monitor that I, an owlet monitor that I put on her. Um, but I didn't trust the outlet monitor. So I still checked on her and like, no, this thing could, this thing could, um, malfunction. It could, she could stop breathing and it could be too long before it tells me, you know, like I had so many, which people probably would look at me and think they're irrational, but to me they were real and I could not function. I did not sleep. And it just, it took a long time to even get to a place that we can talk about that later if you want, but to be able to heal the trauma so that I could sleep. But just that those days were so exhausting. Not only is grief absolutely exhausting. And then I felt like I couldn't grieve because I was trying to keep my other kids alive is like, I had this stress in my chest. that was like my baby, like I couldn't leave her without checking on her for two minutes. I would like, we drove in a car somewhere with some friends 
And I had to sit in the back with my hand on her chest. So I knew that she was breathing the whole time. Like I couldn't take my hand off her chest. Like it, that's how closely I watched her. I could not, somebody else would hold her and I'd be like, are you making sure she's breathing? Like I, I would be on edge when somebody else is holding her because they might not be watching. What if she stopped breathing and they didn't know? And like that kind of, those kind of thoughts would be going through my head all the time and I couldn't relax. So it was, it was a very intense time of my life for sure. And now I'm assuming that you didn't have these fears and, and, and hesitations with your two boys because it wasn't until after Aria that you were changed, like we were saying. And now I'm not well versed when it comes to PTSD. And I think in media, in movies, I only see it displayed sort of like in terms of men and women who are in armed services, who have seen mm -hmm. battle, returning home and getting a diagnosis of PTSD. But of course, there are many other demographics of people who suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder. So how did you go about getting diagnosed and, and how did you navigate that? Yeah, and that's why I love talking about it. And it's like, I'm so passionate about talking about trauma because it is very much portrayed that this only happens to veterans and people who mm -hmm. have seen war, which I think is so important to talk about because it affects them on a huge level and it is absolutely life altering. And so bringing more conversation and awareness to this is so important, but this can happen in everyday life in anything that you experience as traumatic, anything that, you know, we might be like judging ourselves like, oh, that wasn't bad enough. That wasn't mm. traumatic enough. That might have not, you know, why am I affected this way? And it's really just the way your brain and your body was affected. Um, and so, yeah, I was going to a therapist for a couple months um, after Aria had died. And she had mentioned to me that maybe you have trauma because I was telling her about what I would do every single day. I would go downstairs to check on my boys um, and because they're sleeping downstairs, I'd go down there to check on them in the morning. I had to because I knew in my mind they had died in the night. Mm. And my heart would be pounding, my whole body, like I'm just terrified going down those stairs. And then I go in the room and there's many times that I was shaking them, screaming, thought that they had already died. And in like to other, somebody else looking in would be like, what in the world is going on with you? But for me, my body was reliving that finding my daughter over and over and over again. And really like I would see like my kids, I would see them over and over and over again that they had died. And so then I eventually just started to sit in my bed um, and wait for my boys to come upstairs because I was like that process of going through that emotion, that experience, that trauma again and again and again was too much for me. So I would sit in my bed and pretend that I was sleeping. And even if I woke up, I would stay there and I'd be like, nope, I'm still sleeping until the boys come up. Like I couldn't get out of bed and I would wait for them to come to me. So then I knew they were okay, but I was still anxiety ridden in my bed. I'd be like mm -hmm. texting my husband, the boys aren't getting up. I'm so anxious, but I can't go down there. Like that kind of stuff. And then they come up and I'm just like, my whole body just relaxed. Like, okay, they're fine. And I was telling, well, then I felt like a bad mom. I was like, what is wrong with me? Why in the world, when I think my kids aren't okay downstairs, am I sitting in bed, sitting here, you know, in my head, sitting like a coward? That's what I thought about myself. You know, you think your kids aren't okay. What kind of mom are you? Had that kind of conversations with myself. And then when my therapist had mentioned, maybe you have trauma, I looked up the trauma symptoms and one was avoidance. And I just like, for me, that was just, a, it felt like a huge weight came off my shoulders of just like, okay, I have a name for this. I'm not going crazy. Um, now, how do we heal this? Now, how do we take steps forward? And so my therapist had mentioned um, a therapy, whatever you want to call it, process called EMDR. It's called eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Okay. And she's like, I don't do it, but I can refer you to someone else. So she referred me to a different therapist. And um, yeah, I spent the next eight-ish months with him going twice a week doing EMDR, which was absolutely life-changing for me from living in that state of trauma of my body. Like I could not relax. I could not leave my baby for two minutes to now where 
I don't live with trauma. I don't live with the symptoms. I still have like thoughts that might come up. If I'm going to go check on a sleeping child, that might be like, are they okay? Am I going to find another dead child? But it's not like my body responds. It's not, I don't have any like emotion surrounding it or like physical sensations in my body. It's just, okay. You know, it's still, I think it'll be a part of my life forever, but it's not trauma in the way that it controls my life. Right. It's no longer like an action word, like a verb, like something you're feeling all the time. Yeah. And isn't it amazing that not only are you so resilient to survive such an unthinkable tragedy, but every day you are basically reliving those same feelings and not only inside, but basically physically, like you're saying, you're laying there just anxiety ridden. And Mm -hmm. it's just unbelievable to me that what we do, I think as people, but also as women and moms, we put so much pressure on ourselves. And I think that a lot of times, like you were thinking of yourself as a coward when like, I'm looking at you, like you're like a hero Mm -hmm. getting up every day, even doing it, even trying every day is just like such a beautiful thing that you're doing. And the fact that you were still there every day for your kids, like, and they, they may have felt some of it if you're like, if they're seeing you like wake them up or or if they're seeing the anxiety in your face, but Mm -hmm. you were really just getting up every day for them and still trying. And so I applaud you. And not only for speaking about the loss of a child, because as I was mentioning before, I feel like a lot of people shy away from these conversations. And I know for me, and I'm trying to get better at it, but I know a lot of people struggle with how to approach these conversations. And so I applaud you for being very open and transparent, even though it's so real and so raw for you and something so unthinkable to so many people. But there is another demographic of people who have gone through this. And when they hear you open up, they feel a, you know, a safety and a connection that they can do the same and that they can talk about their loss. And then furthermore, for you to talk about another conversation that a lot of people shy away from, which is mental health Mm -hmm. and being diagnosed with something like post-traumatic stress disorder, you're really sort of like blowing the lid off of these conversations that people don't want to have. And they, they're maybe stigmatized, they're embarrassed, or they feel like, like they're letting someone down or they're falling short, but you're not falling short. You're actually taking what's happened to you. You're just rising above. You're trying every day and you're doing the work. And I think that's so... I think that's something that people don't think about if they've been lucky enough to not suffer grief, which I don't know if there's anyone left in the world who hasn't mm-hmm. suffered grief, but it is hard work. Would you agree? Grief work is hard work. It's not just it's not just therapy where you're going and sitting and talking. It's hard work. And what did what did the work look like for you? Yeah, <laughs> that's what I always tell people. It is absolutely the most, you know, hardest thing you will ever do to do the grief work. So you, your child dies and that is so intense. And now you have a choice in how you're going to move forward. If you're going to hold space for the grief, if you're going to do the grief work. So often we shy away from it because it feels scary. It feels painful. It feels um, like if we even begin to process the grief, we're going to let go of our child and we're moving on and moving away from them. Um, And the grief work, for me was really taking like I so when Aria died I wanted to go to sleep I wanted to go to sleep and wake up on the quote-unquote other side I was like I don't even want to face my life I don't want to face this I don't even know what's ahead of me and I don't I don't want to face it I don't want to do it and another mom had told me that who had lost a child as well told me that there's no way through grief but through grief and you have to feel it you have to go through it and I took that like okay, like if I want to be the mom that I want to be for my children, if I want to, especially with trauma, get back to a place where I can function and take care of my children in the way that I wanted to, you know, I was looking at my life. I'm 23. I'm like, is my life over? Like, do I just live in this state of horrific, dark, deep grief the rest of my life? Like, I didn't want that. I wanted to be able to live again. Um, and so then I dove in, I, I did the grief work. I, I sat with my emotions. I sat with my pain. I journaled. I like, I always tell people, and there's something I have now as a program is like, stop talking, start feeling like you were saying, it's not just going to therapy, which I went and it's amazing. Like I love, I love therapy. I think it's an important thing, but so often we get so focused on the talking that we forget that we need to feel, we need to feel the pain, feel the sensations, feel the emotion 
it can feel overwhelming. It can feel scary to sit with that pain. And really that's the only, I, I truly believe it's the only way to be able to get to any place where you can hold space for grief and joy. Because if you are numbing the pain, you're also numbing the joy. And so I really, I took a lot of time to sit with it. Anytime my grief comes up, even now, anytime my grief comes up, I let it come out and I don't judge it. I'm like, oh, grief is here. Grief is going to be here. I let the wave come. I feel the emotion. I feel the pain. And for me now, it's like, this is a reminder of my daughter, Aria. I know that I love her. I know that I always love her. I know that she existed because sometimes it starts to feel like, was she even real? Like, was she even a part of our life? Was, like, did this happen to us? And when my grief wave comes, it's like, yes, she's a part of our life. She's with us forever. Um, but I don't judge it that it's bad. It's to me, it's a part of my life that I had to learn to walk with. I had to learn how to integrate my life with the grief that I was carrying now. And that was a battle because it was so uncomfortable. I didn't want to be with the grief. But as I learned to sat with it, as I learned to hold space with it, I got more comfortable with it and I didn't fight it. And as I didn't fight it, it got easier to carry. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but it's it really understanding that the emotions, the grief, there's nothing wrong with them. It's a normal response to loss. Society wants to tell us to keep busy, to numb it, to don't think about it. Just try to move on. Just try to, you know, there's so many things that people tell you, go get a job, try to, you know, keep busy with your kids, be strong. Don't, you know, all these things. And it's like, to me, that's one of the most, or all of those things are the most detrimental things you can say to somebody who's grieving because you really need to take time to sit with it, to care for it hold space for it. And that's what I felt like I did and why I was able to really get to a place where I feel like grief doesn't hover over my life so heavy, like it can for so many women for so long. Like it is a part of my life, but it doesn't stop me from living fully anymore. Wow. And, and I can see it and I can hear it in your voice that you've done the work. That is not just something that you just come up with overnight. That is the no. result of, yeah, a lot of introspection and a lot of reflection and, and work. And I just have to call it work because that's what it is. And and you put it perfectly by describing it as a wave, a wave of grief. Mm -hmm. Because if it's like a cloud and it's hovering, you can never really escape it. You can't control the clouds. But a wave, you have a chance. You can ride it. You don't have to let it take you under. You have, actually have a fighting chance if, again, you work. And you say, I'm just mm -hmm. riding this wave. And just like the ocean, the waves come and go. You know, and mm -hmm. I can get through this. And I think that is so admirable and amazing. And something else that sticks out to me that you said was you have to get through it. You don't want to be numb because that is a choice. And, and many people may take that choice because it feels like the easier one to be numb. But when you are numb to the grief, like you said, you're numb to the joy that could be there. You could make space for. And, mm -hmm. and I think maybe people suffering from PTSD right now Maybe they don't feel that. So I would like to ask you as someone who has been diagnosed with PTSD, what message would you like to leave with other people who are suffering and maybe don't feel like they can make it through the other side? So I kind of think as trauma and grief a little bit differently. So grief, I think of as something that we carry the rest of our lives. Grief is with us. Like grief is the love that we have for our child. Grief is not a bad thing. We, we judge it so much that this is the most awful thing but I also like teach in my programs that life is 50-50. We have 50% positive emotions, 50% negative. And if we can hold space for all of that and be okay in that time where you have heavy grief, you're not trying to get to that 100% positive because, and then you're not numbing, you know, using things to try to get there. Um, but then trauma is something that can be healed. The trauma cycle can be finished. It can be fully completed. Yeah, it might be a part of your life, but it doesn't have to define you the rest of your life. Where grief, it doesn't have to define you either, but it also integrates into you and to where you carry it the rest of your life. So that's kind of the difference of how I think about it. That's a, Well, that's a very comforting and promising thing that someone who has suffered a trauma, there is an end to that cycle. But is there a message that you'd like to leave with someone who maybe doesn't feel right now that they can get through that cycle, that they're going to live with this trauma? Yeah. And that's totally, I mean, 
how it always feels like I, you know, when somebody else, when I was in my deep grief and like newly grieving, I'm like, I don't see how it's possible that anything could ever be different. Like, <laughs> I mean, you're telling me I could be happy again. My daughter died. I will never be happy again. And so a lot of people really either get angry or like push that thought away. Cause they don't want that. They don't want to, they don't want to be happy right now, which is okay. You don't have to try to force yourself to be happy. That's not what I'm here to talk about. What I'm here to talk about is hold space for grief so that you, you will get there again. If you hold space for your grief, if you allow yourself to process that. But what I always tell the moms I work with is don't look at the rest of your life because when you look at the rest of your life, it, it is very depressing. Like you imagine where you're at right now is where you're going to be the rest of your life. And then you're like, what's the point? Like, I don't even want to live. I don't even want to live another day. But when you can focus on bring your, so you imagine you're bringing your like horizon of what you can look at to the next minute, to the next day, to the next week, however long you can manage and handle, you just need to get through that next minute. You just need to get through that next day. And it's, there's always this balancing of like, sometimes you're in like survival mode where you are just trying to get through that next minute. But what I like to do is help people. So if we're talking about that wave analogy, help people put a life jacket on while they are on the wave so that they can ride the wave, but have tools to support them, have some sort of life jacket that's helping them. So you still have to ride the wave. You still have to be there and relax into it, but you can have tools to support you. And so bringing that focus down to what you can handle helps you be able to, okay, now I'm going to grab these tools and these tools and put this life jacket on rather than look at the rest of my life and be like, I'm just going to give up because it's pointless and there's nothing, nothing that can change this, nothing that can make it better because that that's what it feels like. And I get that. I know it feels like nothing can make this better. And and it, that feels really hopeless. And then I also tell people to look for other stories of other people who have lived with horrific things, who have suffered in horrible ways in their life and how they have been able to come to a place where they they don't suffer like that anymore. They don't, they have so much joy and beauty. And yes, they still have that part of them that is really sad and heavy, but they have so much joy and hope. And if you can find those stories and it's possible for other people, it's possible for you too. Wow. I think that's such beautiful advice to take it minute by minute. Sometimes it can be overwhelming when you're looking too far ahead and you might going back to the wave, let it just go under because what is the point? Yeah. But if you take it minute by minute and you realize that you're not alone, that there are tools. And again, I go back to applauding you for having these conversations because people like you who do share those are the resources. Those become the tools that people need on the wave. They, they relate and they connect. And I think connection is huge when it comes to grief because you feel less alone. You know, I'm part of a nonprofit organization called the Dee Dee Jackson Foundation, and that's our whole slogan. You are never alone in your grief. We are here for your journey of hope and healing, and it is possible. And I really do believe that. And the more people I talk to every week who have suffered loss like you have suffered grief, there's so much insight because they're doing the work just like you. But I, yeah. I imagine that it is a lifelong process and I'm sure not every day you're going to be like at your tip top shape and you're going to have days where you're down and that's just part of being human. But mm -hmm. after visiting your social media channels and tuning into your podcast, Grieving Moms Podcast, it is clear that Aria is certainly sewn into the fabric of all you do. She is the common thread that runs through your family, your personal projects, your mission, and your life's work. And it's so beautiful to see so much of her impact remains. And you said in one of your posts that you speak of Aria often as a family. But I wonder, how did you first navigate telling your other children? And are there any books, tools, or resources you depended on to navigate these conversations? Or did you just sort of follow your heart? I feel like we were sent a lot of resources um, from different, like, the children's hospital and funeral home and different places who sent us resources of just like telling your kids, like telling your kids that they went to sleep, like, which is kind of what Aria did, but then all of a sudden 
kids take that so literally that they will be terrified to go to sleep themselves, that they might die or like all these different ways of like, how do you tell your kids? Like we try to soften it, but actually softening it um, can cause a lot more fear for them. So just saying that they died, just saying that their body stopped working, they're like, it didn't hurt them. They had no pain. Their body just stopped working. And or at least in our situation, this is what happened. Um, and, you know, it, it, for us, we believe that it was her time to go. Um, but just like, it, it's a hard thing to navigate that I think everybody needs to, you know, figure out for what's best for them. But I do think it's important to be as honest as you can with your kids and not try to like hide it or try to make it fluffy and just be like, you know what, they, they died. And sometimes that happens and it's awful. It's horrible. It's sad. Um, and we did a lot of therapy with them. They did play therapy. And this is where I learned the importance of play with children and letting children play and letting them have, like in our society, we rush children, we keep them so busy in their lives and we don't give them any space to play, to process, to use their imagination, to be creative. And um, for me, that's very, very important. So I let my kids do that. I let them play. I don't have to force them or rush them to do things. And that's, that has felt very important as they had been, you know, grieving and working through all of this stuff. Um, but yeah, we talk about her a lot. We talk, she's, I mean, my kids who never met her, they talk about her, you know, she is just, um, she will always be a part of our lives. Absolutely. Now, how old were your sons? If you don't mind me asking. They were four and two and a half. Okay. So I imagine the four-year-olds, that was a little bit more aware or... Yeah, he was, I think still kids don't fully understand or grasp the concept of death until about seven or eight okay. is what I remember. Um, so it's kind of like a, as they grow older, they start to understand more. So then different things of grief come up or different questions come up and different, you know, things come up. And there was definitely many hard moments you know, as I'm grieving and watching, you know, they ask really painful questions mm. um, or they are playing dead. Like mm. they play out what happened. Okay. And, you know, as a mom, you're like, oh my gosh, don't do that. And then it's like, no, okay, they're working through that trauma. They're working through what happened. And that's how kids do it is they play it. They play it out and helping them. And the play therapist really helps them fully process that and make sure that they work through it all. Um, but just really letting them, like they, they say so many things that you're just like, you know, they'll tell strangers, you know, my sister died and mm. people are like, what in the world? They're so yeah. taken aback. And to that kid, it's so matter of fact. And I don't know, there's a lot of things that have come up that have required us to go back to therapy with them okay. or just really, I guess I've just been really open to letting them talk about it. Not like anytime they want to talk about it, it's very like, yeah, let's talk about it. We talk about her every day and then very often. And just if something comes up where it seems like grief has been more profound or whatever, where they need that extra help, then we don't hesitate to bring them in again to do wow. so. Well, you are a remarkable person, I have to say, because, you know, <laughs> I mean, to allow them this safety and this space to do so when it could be so painful for you personally, but you're, you're looking at the well-being of your other children and sort of allowing them the time and, and to do it in their way is just unbelievable. Like you've obviously created a safe space for your husband and your other children to talk about Aria, to ask questions, but being human, does it ever trigger you? Do you ever feel caught off guard or were you ever just kind of having a day where you weren't riding the wave and then all of a sudden they bring something up and, and there you are right in the thick of it again, or? I think I've always been able to separate enough my own grief and theirs. Like anytime they were, you know, bringing something up that I could put, I, obviously there's many times, you know, especially in the beginning where they're like playing dead or playing their different, you know, things that they're playing. And I get like, oh, my heart hurts, or I have like a gut ache, like, oh my goodness, how come my kids have to even know this kind of 
experience in their life. Are they going to be okay? Are they going to be affected so deeply by this? All these different kinds of things. And um, I think I've just, I don't know. I did so much grief work myself and I took time and space for myself to do that work. So it felt like when it came for them, you know, like when it came up for them or we would talk about it, I was able to be there for them. I don't know if that makes sense, but it does. it's just, it, does. it wasn't ever triggering in the way like where it was bad. And I guess I just, I just don't think that it's bad. <laughs> That's kind of my opinion. Like it's not bad to talk about it. It's not bad to bring it up. It's not bad to cry. It's not bad to have emotions. It's not a bad thing. It's just, an emotion that we can work through and talk about and, you know, a, a feeling and a thought and, you know, pain and grief and all these things, they're just a part of our life. And it's not that we have to suffer with them, but we can process them and work through them. Wow. Your kids are really lucky to have you as their mom. Yeah. No, like you can say that. And I'm like, <laughs> I think you always look at your own life and you're like, we never don't ever quite live up to what we want exactly. to be, you know? Oh but my gosh. We just keep, all keep trying. We're just trying. We're all doing the best we can. If I could have one one hundredth of your perspective <laughs> and your ability to just look at the whole picture, I mean, I'm just going to try to adopt this mentality. You're really inspiring me. No, it's truly, it's, I, I always encourage people like, I mess up all the time. I'm always doing, like many times I do it wrong, you know, but it's that constant, for me, it's constantly trying to do better, constantly. I can be enough, but I can also be better and I can constantly do the work so that I can be a calmer mom. So I can hold space for my kids so I can do that. But it all comes down to taking care of myself, taking care of my own emotions. If I can hold space for my emotions and process my emotions, then I have more room to hold space for my kids. If I'm stressed out and crabby and tired, I don't got time to, to yeah. sit you know, <laughs> so if I take care of myself, I have more space to take care of my mm -hmm. kids. And it doesn't mean it always happens or works out exactly how I want it to. And then I have to apologize and say, sorry, you know, like, that's not the kind of mom that I want to be. But it's that we, we do apologize. And then we try again and keep, yeah, you know, and just keep moving forward. Mm -hmm. It sounds to me that like having well, two things, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup, so you have to take mm -hmm. care of yourself first. It goes back to that, you know, putting your mask on first and on the airplane yep. before you can help anyone else. And also just having a strong foundation because you did the work personally just for you. Now you have that strong foundation that can weather the storm of your kids playing dead, asking mm -hmm. questions, you know, bringing things up. You're not triggered as much because you did the work you're prepared and you have that strong foundation. And it seems to me that that's making all the difference and moving forward. Yeah, that's, and then for me, that's why I feel like I can do the work that I do now because I've done the work myself. Like I don't ask the moms I work with to ever do anything that I haven't done. I have done all this work myself and I can see where it can get to you and how beautiful it is when you get to, it's almost like when you go through the fire I can see once you let yourself go through that fire, how beautiful it can be over here. And I want to help guide people through that, but I wouldn't be possible if I was putting all my stuff on everyone that I worked with, or if I was triggered every time I talked with somebody, or if I was, you know, it, I have to be able to care for my grief and hold my grief in my own container and work through it. And then I can hold space for other people. But I wouldn't be able to do that if I didn't take that time for myself. Right. And you did the work. And it's it's a, it's great that you said that because I was going to ask if doing this work as a grief coach and working with your clients is ever draining for you or triggering. But it sounds to me like because you've done the work, again, you're able to weather these storms to hear these stories and, and be okay and still be solid. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's ever triggering. Um, I would say it's it can be draining um, in a way that just communicating with people and talking with people not because it's um, too much emotionally, but just because it's that constant communication and talking and working through, you know, and having really deep, holding deep spaces. Um, and so for me, it's just more like, okay, it's a lot of emotional work, mental work that I'm doing 
So I just have to give myself space and rest in between, which is fine. You know, it's just that balance of like, okay, when I do this work or if I'm on calls all day long, okay, now my brain is just like shut down, <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. So it's just that, I mean, I think we can, many of us can get that anyways too, you know, you, yeah, but it's, it's been good. It's finding that balance, right? That elusive balance yeah. that everyone's sort of searching for in life. But yeah. but I imagine even more so when it's when your job and your work is so emotionally, you know, you're invested in all yeah. facets. So, well, another relationship that I want to discuss, I you know, I asked you about how you explain and talk with your other children, but I was really moved by an episode of Grieving Moms podcast that you recorded with your husband Justin last March entitled Staying Married After the Death of a Child. You are both so candid and insightful, and I was really blown away by the connection that I felt between you guys, even on an audio platform like a podcast, <laughs> which that's pretty remarkable, you know, to be able to do that. But it was clear to me when listening that you both have done the work, the grief work, reflected on your unthinkable loss, and worked hard to gain some perspective on how to move forward as a couple. So, I mean, I'm sure you get this question a lot, but how did your relationship with your husband shift after this tragedy? And can you offer any advice to parents who have lost children to help with their, you know, support their marriage and relationship? Yeah, it, it was the hardest year of our whole entire marriage. Um, we just passed 10 years of marriage um, just a like, couple weeks ago. Congrats. And so, yeah, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. But like, it is it is one of the hardest things you will ever encounter in a marriage. I mean, there's so many things you can encounter in a marriage that are really hard, but it tried our marriage in such a way. And um, it felt like because of my trauma, because of my grief and his grief, it was just really hard to connect. It was really hard to, like he had told me at one point that he didn't even know if he could love me, if he loved me anymore. And we have a very, like, and I'm really grateful for this, that we just, we believe that we're married for life. So it was just like, okay, well, he kind of got this like, well, I guess that this is just, you know, who I'm going to live with the rest of my life. But it gave us that time to be able to get back on our feet and to be able to connect again and work through and have those really hard conversations. But it's hard to connect when you are grieving differently. When one person, I'm very external griever. I talk and talk about it. I wanted to tell them everything that I was thinking about you know, if I was crying and sad, I would tell him everything that was coming in my head. He didn't say a thing. He wouldn't tell me anything. He didn't show his emotions all that often. He didn't express them all that often. And so then I got worried, like, are you going to like go backwards in 10 years? You know, that was like my, you're going to get your grief wave hit in 10 years and then we're going to deal with it later. And I had all sorts of questions and fears, I guess. And, um, and then this, one little story that I like to tell is like we were at the cemetery on a holiday and I remember that we were leaving and I had been crying. I was so sad there and I was leaving and I was like, how come you're never sad? Like why in the world? I kind of got mad at him. Like what's wrong with you? How come you don't get sad? You know, then he got mad at me. He's like, just because I'm not crying, just because I'm not showing it like you are does not mean I'm not sad inside and it's not all inside of me. And for me, that was a very eye-opening moment, I guess, of like, I wouldn't want him to tell me how to grieve. I wouldn't want him to come in and be like, oh, you're being too expressive. You're getting like, can you just be quiet? I don't want to hear about it anymore. I wouldn't want him to do that to me. And so I can't do that to him either. And so holding that space for him, and I feel like we've come to a really good place of like, I can hold the space for him and he, I can be perfectly okay if he doesn't share anything with me. Like if he is having a hard day, I can be there with him. I can even sit in the room with him and be quiet and hold him, but I don't have to know anything. I don't have to push him. If he wants to tell me anything, he can. But it's just that understanding that we grieve differently and that we both miss her. We both love her. And there's not any like, I'm grieving better than you or you're grieving you know, better than me, or I loved her more than you. We have none of that. I know that he loved her. I know that he misses her, still loves her. And he actually does so many beautiful things that I don't think about, you know, like with our kids surrounding her. And I just think that so often people want to give up so quickly 
And what I like to tell people is like, it can be really hard for a while. And if you can do like the work and have really hard conversations, your marriage can be the most amazing thing after. When you do that, like, I'm not scared to have any conversations with him anymore. We have had the hardest conversations ever because we've gone through this experience and because we have learned how to sit with each other and be, I don't know, like, I, I just feel like our marriage just gets better and better as the years go by because we've learned to communicate. We've learned how to, like, if we get frustrated or angry at each other, we can like, okay, it can feel impossible to work through it, but we sit down and we work through it um, and have those conversations instead of just like what we kind of did before was just try to ignore it, shove it under the rug. Like, you know, we don't want to have that kind of conversation. We don't want to sit with that. It's too hard. But I felt like this forced us to learn how to be respectful to each other, how to honor each other's emotions and each other's feelings. And I mean, we're always learning. I'm not saying that we're just perfect and everything's great, but I just keep feeling like every day, every year, like our marriage just gets better and better, but because we keep doing this work and having these hard conversations. Wow. You both are the living example that people grieve differently, that it can be out loud and in your face, or it could be internal and as deep as the ocean. Mm-hmm. And you just, it's just, there's no right or wrong. And the word that kept just like running through my mind the whole time you were just talking and you hit it right at the end is respect. Mm-hmm. And you guys are just the perfect example of respecting one another's differences and not placing judgment on it. And I think that's what's hard when you're grieving. And I'm trying to think of my own personal experience. My husband and I sound a lot like the two of you that when we go through something, I'm the more out loud one and he's the sort of deep thinker. Mm-hmm. And, and I think there is that, you know, I think I fall into that trap sometimes of thinking that you're not doing it right. Or like, you're not feeling it as deeply as me, but you can't place that judgment. <laughs> when you take that judgment off and realize we're both hurting, mm-hmm. we both suffered an unthinkable loss. We both loved Arius and love Arius so much and always will. And she'll always be part of us, but it's just going to look different. And if you don't judge me and I won't judge you and we respect each other and we know that we're in the same sort of yeah. I won't call it a battle because it's more like a journey. Like yeah. you're not always wanting to have that negative connotation. It's a journey that you're working through together. You have the same end result that you want. The goal is to have mm-hmm. a, you know, a cultivated family and a cultivated life together with your five other children. And Aria is like sort of just being, like I said, the fabric that's weaved into everything you do. And as, you, as long as you stay on the same team, I think that really can help. Yeah. And that's something that it's like, what is our goal? We want to stay married. We want to be, you know, a strong foundation for our children, for our family. And so we have to do the work. (laughs) Like it doesn't, I think that's what sometimes we think that marriage is just easy, that it just, you know, is, it should be easy. It should just be fun because we love each other. Right. And it's like, it's so much work. Sometimes it's like, oh my goodness, how do we even live with each other? You know, but it's so beautiful and so amazing. And And it comes with many hard times too. Yeah. And I think when you work through those really hard times, when you're at that sort of peak and you're, and you're feeling good and the love gets deeper and stronger and you're more tethered together, the rewards are, are there too, Mm -hmm. you know, for the hard work that you do, you do have those beautiful moments and you do have something to be very proud of in the, in your relationship. Well, this series is all about turning grief into action, and you are doing just that with your coaching business. So at what point after the loss of Aria did you decide to go into this field of work as a grief coach? Yeah, it's been about, so it's kind of been a process of things that have changed. So this May will be five years since she died, Um, and it's been about two years that I've been diving into the grief work, like where I was like, okay, how can I help mom? Starting to think about how can I help what can I do? And it was really, it took me a long time to even get to the place of like, I can coach moms and guide moms through this, but it was like, I mean, all moms want is their child back. Like, that's what I was like. I, I don't know how to help them because that's all they want is like, and I can't do that. And I knew that I didn't want to do any like physical products or something. A lot of people do like, uh, like a foundation or a, nonprofit or a product or I just that was not kind of what I wanted to do I really wanted to help people not suffer so much 
I really wanted to help them feel fully alive again um, because I have seen that in my life and I know it's possible. And I really, <clears throat> I was like, I have the tools. I have the way to help them. So finally stepping into that coaching role and being able to guide them and help them has been incredible. And I've learned so much, obviously, the more you coach and work with women, the more you learn and the better coach you get. And then the more tools you, you have to help them and like, okay, this does help people. Like I know it helped me, but now I've had enough women like where I'm like, this is, this is like helping so many women. And it's not, it wasn't just me, you know? And it, I think you start to think like, well, maybe it's just me or will this help everybody? And like, maybe it won't help everybody, but it does help so much if you take these tools and you learn how to sit with your emotions, you learn how to manage your mind and your thoughts, and you have tools to kind of calm your body down so that you can even get to a safe place to grieve and to be able to hold space for grief and joy. Yeah. Okay. Well, speaking of grief and joy, that leads me to my next question. Your mission, which I love for your clients is to uh, to help your clients carry their grief instead of suffering with grief and to truly learn how to walk side by side with both grief and joy. I see this all the time on social media. It's like two women walking together, you know, into the horizon and the back of one of their shirts says uh, grief and the other says joy and they're holding hands and they're sort of like walking into the sunset like they can coexist. Do you believe that grief and joy can and do coexist? And, and how do we find the joy again after such a loss? Yeah, I I believe it. I really do believe that they do coexist. And, and sometimes we feel like if we're grieving, we can't be joyful. And if we're joyful, we're not grieving. You know, it's like scary to smile because other people might think I'm not grieving. They might think I'm over it. So you don't really want to smile or you don't want to laugh or you feel guilty for laughing because I'm moving on. Like, and I just really think when you can find that balance of being able, able to hold space for both of them, that you don't have to suffer the rest of your life. You don't have to just be in grief, deep grief the rest of your life. You can be in grief. You can be in joy. They can go back and forth. And it's not a problem. It's not a, like, it's not a bad thing. It can be so fluid and so easy to go back and forth. And so kind of the the way of like carrying grief and not suffering with grief is because sometimes we suffer so much with guilt or sadness or anger or any of these emotions that we have. We have thoughts that come again and again and again. And many of the moms I work with, especially with guilt, they just keep bringing up these thoughts in their head of, you know, I should have done this or why did I treat my child that way? Or I could have saved them or it was my fault that they died or any of these thoughts. And that is the suffering that we have in grief. And so I help moms work through that suffering so that they can carry their grief. So I'm like, we're not going to get rid of grief. We're not going to throw it away. We're not going to, we can't get rid of it. We can learn tools to carry it. We can learn tools to like imagine that you get stronger legs to be able to carry it, but you're not getting rid of it. And you also don't have to suffer because it almost like feels like we have to suffer, like we need to suffer the rest of our lives. And I really believe suffering is optional. And it's when you are resisting the emotions, you are resisting what is going on in your life. When you are resisting feeling anything, that's when we have suffering. Because you start to think we shouldn't be feeling this way. We shouldn't be doing this. We should be better. All of these things add suffering on top of grief, which is already heavy enough. So taking away that suffering helps moms be able to get to that place of grief and joy. So really walking through that fire, doing the grief work, sitting with the emotions is how you get to joy. Wow. Okay. Well, I think by now people are thinking, okay, well, how can I work with Megan? Tell me how. So where can people visit to to work with you and to learn more and, and to see the resources that you're providing. Yeah. So the main spot would be my website, meganhillica.com. You can get my podcast, Grieving Moms podcast there. Um, you can download that on any podcast app as well. And then I have a mini program that is, called, like I mentioned earlier, it's called Stop Talking, Start Feeling. It's $27 for it. And it's all about giving that life jacket, that life vest for the emotions of guilt and sadness and talking about the emotions of grief and really shifting 
how you view the emotion so they're not as scary because we're so scared to feel emotions. We're so scared that they're going to kill us almost like if they're so painful. And so I just have a lot of things in there to help kind of shift your perspective about emotions and then actual tools to help process guilt and sadness specifically. So that is the stoptalkingstartfeeling.com and then my website and you can find everything on there. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone needs to visit meganhillica.com. And I'll put this all in the show notes, of course, too, in addition with your social media, but H-I-L-L-U-K-K-A, correct? Yeah. Yep. That's Okay. Correct. Perfect. Okay. Well, something else I wanted to ask you about is I always look for little synchronicities and signs for my lost loved ones. They provide me with the, just a sense of sort of relief and like a feeling of connection. So do you ever look or see signs from Aria? Do you believe in that? And and how do you keep her memory alive? Well, you keep her memory alive, I know, from all the work you do. But is there anything you personally do that's just for you and Aria? Or do you look for signs? Um, I'm not much of like signs in the way of like I specifically look for them, I guess. But mm-hmm. I feel like more for me has been I've never noticed the sky as much um, wow. just because I believe she's in heaven and anytime there's like a beautiful sky or especially when the sun is shining through the clouds when it's coming down like I always take pictures of the sky and like Mm. the sky is just so beautiful I guess Mm -hmm. so that's something more that I pay attention to um but yeah we keep her memory alive every day you know and through the work that I do and talking about her and we have many things that we have in our house. Um, I have necklaces that I wear. I have a few, not these ones, but a few different ones that I wear and just like different things that we do, I guess. Yeah. Often the color, I always, anything purple, I think of as her, kind of her color. So that's a lot why a lot of my colors of what I do is purple. I love that. Well, you have six children, five of whom are here with you still, and that means a lot of special days come up during the year, holidays, birthdays, anniversaries. How do you celebrate those, particularly, like you said, in May, you have the anniversary coming up for Aria and and her birthday. Do you do anything? Do you acknowledge? How do you spend those days? Yeah, so her birthday, we always, we didn't do this year just because of COVID, but we normally go to um, the... Gillette Children's Hospital because she had had surgery at a year old um, and the Ronald McDonald House and we do a meal there because we had had, you know, we had used that Ronald McDonald House when she was in the hospital and it just felt like a way that we can remember her and give back to other people and do this like in her memory. So that has felt really good. Um, We just didn't do it this year, but that has been a very special thing, I guess that feels like special for us. And then um, we always spend the day as a family. Um, My husband, if he's working that day, he takes a day off and we just make sure like for us, something that we've learned so deeply is like the importance of spending time as a family, the importance of connecting. Like for me, I keep going back to what are the, like for me, it's the three S family, friends, and faith. Those are my like the anytime I'm start like I keep bringing myself back to that. That this is what's the most important things to me, and so just trying to make those days all about connecting as a family and really spending time together and doing something fun together. Um, and then her death date, we have spent at for the first couple of years we were at cabins with friends, um, and that was very special. I don't know if we will ever get those days back, but they were so needed for us. Um, They felt so intimate. They felt so like people would ask us like, oh, was it such a hard weekend? And it was like, I can't even say it was hard. It was so fun to be with such good friends to be, they were such beautiful weekends. And it doesn't mean that there was no sadness. Like there was moments of tears and crying and talking about her and remembering, but we had so much fun. And for me, that's like what I how I think of grief is like, there is sadness, there is tears, and there's so much fun. There's so much joy. And if we can just allow ourselves to feel what comes up and in that moment, rather than like, we need to be a certain way, or that day needs to be awful or horrible the whole day. I, I shouldn't be able to get out of bed. What's wrong with me if I can. It just like, it was just a 
beautiful, like many weekends were just beautiful. Like they were so fun. Um, and it's changed a little bit now. We haven't gone to a cabin for a little bit, but we have some, like a farm that we go to with all my family. So it's just, we still remember her. We do singing for her and I don't know what else we really do. We always get like a cake from a certain place and that kind of stuff. But like, yeah, just being yeah. okay with whatever emotion comes up that day. Some years are really intense emotions and some years are, it's not as intense. And for me, it's all okay. It's, it's, I'm not scared of those days for that reason. And you, again, there's the example of the joy and the grief coexisting and one weekend can encompass both and that's okay. And you don't judge your feelings as they come up. Yeah. Yeah. That's totally what I feel like it is, is like, it can be all of it. Like, is it good or bad? Like people are like, was it a bad weekend? Like, well, it wasn't bad, but I mean, <laughs> do I want to say that it was good because that was, you know, the day she died? I don't know, but it was, it was really an amazing weekend that also had sadness. Yeah. So, <laughs> and that's okay. Yeah. I love that. Well, you mentioned not being able to do, you know, certain celebrations and, and rituals this year because of COVID. And I've spoken to a lot of people who have suffered loss and they say that, a lot of people, what I'm hearing is COVID has really amplified their grief, even if their loss was a long time ago. And I think it's, you know, it had to do a lot with being home and isolated and really not being able to do those distractions and be busy all the time mm-hmm. and really sitting with your thoughts. Has your grief amplified during or changed during COVID, during the pandemic? Or because you did the work, was this another storm you were able to weather? I would say COVID has been different in the sense of so many different reasons. It hasn't really felt like my grief grief has been connected to it. It's just been hard for so many other reasons, you know, rather than connected to my grief. But I think it can be seen as a gift or it can be seen like for people to like, they're forced to slow down. And if you take that time to do the grief work, you can help yourself so much more, you know, and give yourself that gift and that time of holding space for your grief. But I get, I know it's been really hard for many, many people. Yeah. Well, you're navigating it beautifully with with all the work you're doing. And I would be remiss if I didn't ask you this. I know I've kept you for a hundred years, it feels like, but <laughs> I would be remiss if I did not ask you about a major project that you and your family have been working on. Everyone needs to go on Instagram right now <laughs> and go to at cultivated family and tell me about the school bus. This is so cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We are renovating a 40 foot school bus. Um, it is so fun. I love it. And I guess, I mean, this even ties into Aria and because when she died, it was like, okay, I mean, we might not be alive forever. I mean, it kind of like was like, I mean, I know we're not going to be alive forever, but you kind of think you have the rest of your life to do this or that. And it was like, okay, when you start to think about what would you regret in your life if you didn't do, and I was like, if I turned 60 and we did not do this bus and we did not do, you know, traveling in it for a while, that's something I would regret. It's, it is something I know that like we might get in it and I might hate it. Who knows? But I I don't know until we try it. (laughs) And so, yeah, we are renovating it, turning it into a motorhome, and we're planning on traveling in it for, the plan is for a year, but who knows, like, if it will, you know, yeah. I mean, we don't know. That's kind of the idea. And it's been really, really fun. I really enjoy the process. I haven't shared a ton on Instagram. I've been trying to decide if I should share more or not. But I, I really have just been enjoying, enjoying it for myself. Yeah, that like, you sense. know, instead of having to share it with everyone, it's, it's like for our family and for for us. And then like, we'll see, I might share more, who knows, but it's just, it's been so fun. It feels like a fun project. And it really, I know Aria is a huge part of it. And she's taught us so much about, you know, living to our fullest and, you know, not, not taking things to be like, oh no, that's impossible. We can't do that. Um, That's not for us or waiting, like waiting around for another year or two for it to happen is like, okay, let's get started. And when it happens, it happens. But if we don't get started now, it's never going to happen. And so, yeah, I just feel like she has taught us a lot in that, like following our dreams and wanting to live a full life because we don't know, 
if my husband's going to die tomorrow, if I die tomorrow, my other kids die tomorrow, you know, we don't know. And so we might as well live our life fully today. Yeah, I think we all suffer the arrogance of life and thinking like, that's the future. We're going to do that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we're definitely going to do that down the line. But if, if, if death teaches us one thing, it's that, you know, life is short mm-hmm. and that you should just go for the things you want to do. And I, I mean, what you have shared so far is just so cool and it's so exciting and adventurous. And I love that it's just something that Aria is still a part of, too, because she taught you, you know, to just go for it. And your other kids are going to have like such a great adventure and you and your husband are just going to continue to do this work and make the best life you can for your family and, and yourselves and, and you're helping so many other people. And I just have the utmost respect for you in every, every facet. I really, really do. So I want to thank you, Megan, so much for joining me today on wonderful week and sharing your journey with us. You are doing meaningful and important work that is helping the world heal one person at a time. And I admire you so much for dedicating your life to aiding others in their time of need, like we said, getting them through that fire to the other side. The world needs more Megans. That's what my notes keep saying. Like after every paragraph, I'm like, the world needs more Megans. <laughs> and I'm sure by now other people want to learn more about you and your family. Um, so again, Instagram at Cultivated Family, your website, meganhillica.com, H-I-L-L-U-K-K-A. Listen to your podcast, Grieving Moms podcast. Am I missing any other places they can find you? That's kind of a lot anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, you can find everything at my website. So Okay, that, perfect. That good, but. Well, I learned so much from my guests and I'm always inspired by each and every person that I share this space with and you are no exception. So I would be honored today if you would close out the show. Is there a final message you'd like to leave with the audience today? Yeah, I guess the thing I always just want to share is like be gentle and kind with yourself if you're grieving, if you have you know, you had your child die, or even if you're grieving in a different way from a different loss, because we're always having this grief comparison of like, oh, this is worse than this. And I'm like, no, any grief you're feeling, no matter what it is, is the most pain you've ever been through. So whoever's listening, if they're feeling grief, if they are living with grief, if they have suffered something horrific, be kind and gentle with yourself, give yourself that time and that space. And then like, you don't have to do it alone and you can get help. And I think I've talked with so many women who are like suffering so much in their life, but they don't know if they deserve the help or they don't know if, is it bad enough that I actually need the help? Is it, you know, am am I worthy of getting the help? Am I suffering enough in my life? You know, I'm like, why, why do you need to suffer so much? Just get the help and take that time to grieve and be gentle with yourself and learn tools to love yourself because it can get so much better than what it is right now. And you don't have to suffer this way. You don't have to live this way. And there's so much help. You're not alone. There's so many people and resources and obviously the coaching and the work I do, but even if it's not with me, there's so many options to get help. So please, please get the help. Beautifully said. We'll leave it there. 